Well, today we are going to continue in our series uh, called One Hit Wonders. And we all know a one-hit wonder on the radio, a song that got popular by some obscure group that we never really know who, what the band is or what the group's called, but we just remember the Macarena. You know, we remember the song, and uh, we're talking about one-hit wonders of the Bible in that there are five books of the Bible that only have a single chapter. And so when we kicked off this series, we started in the book of Obadiah, and so if... Uh, I think that if you are expecting child and you know you're having a boy, you should consider the name Obadiah. It's, uh, they might think you're Amish, maybe. I don't know. But Obadiah is a one-chapter book in the Old Testament. It is a prophecy to the nation of Edom. Edom uh, is built, their capital city is built up on a high hill, and they think they're untouchable. Nobody can take us down. And then God steps up to the mic and says, I'll take you down. Because if you're going to exalt yourself, I will humble you. They, and uh, so it was, a, a, it was kind of a prophecy of punishment against Edom for their mistreatment of Israel. They were kicking Israel while they were down. They were getting invaded by Babylon. And so while Babylon's invading Israel, they slide in and they, they go ahead and start taking their stuff, taking their, their prisoners, and even killing Israelites. And so it's this, it was this great book about how pride can bring you down. And, uh, and, and, uh, and that God hates prideful people. Then last Sunday, we uh, were in the book of Philemon. Philemon is this short, one-chapter book in the New Testament, a letter that Paul is writing to a Roman citizen who is a well-to-do Roman citizen, if you remember, and, and he has a number of slaves. And one of his slaves, Onesimus, he runs away. Because we're led to believe that he cheated Philemon or stole from him in some way. And he finds Paul. And he, Paul leads him to the Lord and he gets saved. And now Paul's writing Philemon a letter encouraging Philemon to do something that likely has never been done before. Because a runaway slave at, in Rome was deserving of incredible punishment even to be punished unto death. But Paul writes Philemon this letter. He says, I want you to do the unthinkable. I could, I could tell you to do this, but I want you to choose to do this. I want you to forgive Onesimus, welcome him back, but don't you dare welcome him back as a slave. You welcome him back as a brother. And it had never been done before. And so Philemon, although it is a very small book in the New Testament, has ex- an explosive message of reconciliation and forgiveness. And today we're going to continue talking about one-hit wonders in the Bible, books of the Bible that only have one single chapter. And today we're going to be in the book of 2 John. 2 John. So if you brought your Bible, you can turn to 2 John. If not, don't worry. We'll have all the scripture on the screen. If you're in the orange Bible in front of you, I forgot to get your page number, but it is near the very back of the New Testament, near the very back. And uh, it's right after 1 John. And it's right before 3 John, if you need to find it. And, uh, and I also, I tell you what, if you don't own a Bible, I want you to grab that orange Bible in the seat in front of you. I want you to write your name in it. That is a gift to you from New Life Church. We believe in the Word of God, and that is for you. So 2 John is the second kind of in a trilogy of, of books written by John. And um, uh, this is... Many, it is mostly credited to being written by the Apostle John, one of Jesus' disciples, the disciple that Jesus loved. 
and uh, as he likes to say. There's many kind of markers throughout this writing that really um, um, are similar to the Gospel of John. So most scholars credit this Apostle John as being the author of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Today we're looking at 2nd John. But at this point, John is much older. He is much more seasoned in age. And he is an overseer of a network of house churches. The early church didn't meet in buildings like, like, like ours. The early church was growing and thriving by meeting in homes. And so John, now older, is many times referred to as the elder. Doesn't that just seem like it has power? Hello, elder. And uh, so John the Elder pens this letter to this particular church. Now, like I said, he's the overseer of a network of house churches that are all located likely around the city of Ephesus. And uh, from what we gather these letters, uh, from these letters, uh, is that these group of churches have gone through some kind of crisis. There's been some drama in this network of churches in that a group of people from these churches has broken off and are doing their own thing, but the reality is they are preaching a different message than that of the church because they are denying Jesus as the Messiah and as the Son of God. Paul calls these people deceivers, I'm sorry, John. John calls these people deceivers and even refers to them as antichrist. So they've broken off, they're, they're doing their own thing, they're stirring up hostility among those that have stayed faithful to the church. And so 2 John is essentially, it is a warning written to a specific house church. Um, Paul, he, he will, well, we'll get to this part, and I'll get to that in a second, but, but there are people that are denying the Lord Paul calls them deceivers, and you have to understand that in the early days of the church, the message of Jesus is being spread by by evangelists, like missionaries, that are traveling and going out and preaching and teaching about Jesus. And these travelers, as they take the message of Jesus, they visit local churches, these house churches, and they welcome these travelers in, these evangelists, and they welcome them in, they take care of them, and they provide financial support to them. This is a lot like what missionaries still do today. New Life Church, we support a number of missionaries that, are, that travel all around the entire world, and we support them, and we care for them, we cover them in prayer, and we support them financially. Now, these deceivers that John is talking about that no longer are teaching that Jesus is the Messiah and that they, are, they don't believe that Jesus has any deity, so he's not the Son of God. Paul, uh, uh, well, I keep saying Paul, y'all, uh, because Philemon was Paul, and okay. Uh, but John, he is telling them that these deceivers operate the same way. These deceivers are going church by church seeking support, financial support. They want to be brought in and to deceive them, and, uh, and so John is writing this letter to this particular church saying, do not welcome them in to your home. 
Now, many times when, when some people read, don't welcome these deceivers into your home, uh, people may feel like, oh, that, that, feels, that feels wrong. Like, you should be friendly to people. But remember, these are home churches. So what he's saying is, your church should not support these deceivers. Do not give them money, because then you are essentially would be credited with helping spread a false teaching. So when he says don't welcome them into your home, he's saying your church will not support these deceivers. So be on the look for that. Um, so 2 John is a warning to a local church for not, to not offer support to these deceivers. So let's take a look at it now. 2 John verse 1, this is what it says, the elder. Now, when they would write a letter, typically when we would write a letter, and if I wrote a letter to Jenny, I would say, to Jenny, and then I would sign the letter from Devon. And uh, usually when I write Jenny a note, I say, wife, and then I sign it, husband. That's just my thing. But in the, in the early first century, when you wrote a letter, you actually start off with who's writing it. So, you, I, so then I would say, the husband, and then I'd write her a little note, and then then finish it with a greeting to Jenny specifically. And so that's why we see here, it starts off, the elder, speaking of John, who was writing this, the elder, to the lady chosen by God and to her children. And so there's a couple thoughts on this opening phrase where it says, to the lady chosen by God and to her children. Uh, Some people believe that this is um, uh, figurative of to the lady, meaning the church, and her children, meaning the people of the church. Some, some would say that when, when John says, to the lady chosen by God, he's specifically talking to a lady that is the leader of this home church and to the people in the church. But whichever way it goes uh, doesn't change what is meant here. So to the lady and her children, um, watch this, whom I love in the truth, and, I, and not I only, but also all who know the truth because of the truth, which lives in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son will be with us, watch this, in truth and love. We heard a lot of truths, words truth, in this, and he finishes it with this, will be with us in truth and love. I want you to remember that, truth and love. Make note of that. Verse four says, it has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I am not writing you a new command, but one we have been we've had from the beginning then he says i ask that we love one another and this is love that we walk in obedience to his commands whose commands to the commands of jesus so if we're going to really love one another we will walk in the obedience of the commands of jesus as you have heard from the beginning His command is that you walk in love. 
And actually, let's read it. In Matthew 22, these are the words of Jesus. Uh, this is speaking of Jesus, and they're asking Jesus. They say, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replies, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment to love God. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so here at New Life Church, this is what we say. We say that a great commitment to the great commandment and to the great commission will build a great church. So Jesus gives us this great commandment to love God and to love people. And Jesus also gives his disciples the great commandment, which was to go and, and make disciples of all nations. So, so how we say at New Life Church, and this is our mission, this is why we exist, we say it like this. We say, love God, love people, and love sharing God with people. This is the mission of our church, because we believe that a great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission will build a great church. So everything we do at New Life, we filter it through the mission of our church to love God, to love people, and love sharing God with people. And so, so John is setting this up that he's asking that they love one another. He, know, he knows that they're, they're love for the truth but and to walk in obedience to God's commands, which is just that. So let's go on in 2 John verse 7. John says, I say this because many deceivers do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh, have gone out into the world. So there are people who have broken off from the church and are now teaching that Jesus is not the Son of God, he's not the Messiah. And he says, any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone come to you and does not bring this teaching, well, here is where he says it, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. Again, these deceivers are coming house to house to their home churches, looking for support, looking to weasel their way in and to deceive the church. And, and let me just say that, you know, New Life Church, we support uh, a number of missionaries that travel the world sharing the message of Jesus. Most of the missionaries we support are all connected to our network of churches called the Assemblies of God. And what that means is, or, or when there is a pastor like myself that is credentialed by the Assemblies of God, I'm an ordained minister with the Assemblies of God, what that means is we have submitted ourselves to uh, an accountability process that when a missionary comes to our church seeking support and they say that, that they, uh, they are confirmed by the assemblies of God what that means is that the assemblies of God has has searched me and they and, and I've been able to establish I'm called by God and I'm in alignment with truth and love and also an accountability process with how every dollar is spent and where every dollar goes 
And so, so that, is, that is what's so great about our network of churches is, is, is we have these processes to ensure that there aren't deceivers among us. And, and so when, when, when I came to New Life Church as an ordained pastor with these sons of God, I mean, that kind of means something. That means that they've looked into my life and I've submitted myself to them to be in alignment in teaching and in character and to have integrity. And so, so that, that's what makes our network of churches or being a part of a network of churches so, so significant and so important to continue the purity of the work of God. And, and so a, a couple things here that, that John, I think, is saying to us, because not everything in the Bible is written to us, but is written for us. And the first thing, I think, is that there is the need for truth and love. There's a need for truth and love. I think this is especially important for the church today to walk in truth and love. You see, there is this common saying in Christianity, you've you've heard it said, you've heard it said in a song, that God loves me just as I am. And I understand what they're saying. I've said this. God loves you just the way you are. And, what, and although that's true, God loves you unconditionally. There's nothing you could ever do that will, that will overcome God's love for you. There's no sin so great that God won't forgive. That he will always love you. I remember one time when I was in high school, you'll never believe this, but I got myself in a bit of a pickle, and I found myself in some trouble. I had been rebellious, disrespectful to my history teacher, Mr. Pomfret, I'll never forget. Anyway, through a series of circumstances, uh, I served some Saturday schools, and I ended up in our assistant principal's office where before we can move forward from my despicable behavior, uh, a parent had to come to the office to meet with me and the assistant principal. So I'm in the assistant principal's office, and my mom has to come. My mom walks in, and we, we deal with the stuff that had to be dealt with, and um, and she showed me great mercy and she showed me great lace, grace because I knew that my mom was there and mama loved me and she did. But let me tell you, my mom loved me despite me. She loved me, but she didn't love where I was and what I was doing. In other words, did she love me just as I am? No, she did not. She loved me despite my failures. She did not love me the way I was at the moment. Does this connect? So when we say God loves you just the way you are, he doesn't. He loves you unconditionally, but not as you are. He loves you so much that he actually provided a way for you to get out of where you are and to experience a new life. Listen, God's not trying to fix you. He's trying to kill you. He's trying to put off the old man, Romans says, that the old man has passed away 
and the new has come. And baptism is a beautiful illustration of this, that the old man, the old us, is buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in a brand new life. He doesn't love you just the way you are. If you're a mess, if you're in sin, if you're in darkness, he doesn't love that about you. He wants to free you, and because he loves you so much, he provided a way to do it. When I see my kids in trouble, I love them, but I don't want them to stay that way. I love them enough to get them out of that. So just the way they are right there, I don't love it. I don't love, I don't, no one loves a, a child that might be talking back or a child that finds themselves in, and my mama didn't love the fact that I was a mess, she, but she loved me, just she didn't love where I was at. And so it is true that God loves you. And, and we, there are, there are uh, movements of churches that are saying God loves you just the way you are. He loves all people, all kinds, all sexual orientations. He loves everybody, so come on in. And they're right. God loves all people. Black, white, Hispanic, he loves all people. God loves those that are struggling in homosexuality. God loves every Republican. God loves every Democrat. God loves all people. But he doesn't love us exactly as we are. He's like a good father that sees his children in, in trouble. And he says, Adam, you're not going to stay this way. And so a good, loving parent will offer consequences and, so that you have choices to make, so that you can live the best life. But, but, but if we candor to feelings in the truth that God is love, and he is. And God loves all people, and he does. But we don't bring the, the love of God with the truth of God. It's still deceiving. It, my mama could have loved me and said, listen, Devin, I love you just the way you are. And I know that you're just a little mouthy, but I love you. And God accepts your mouthiness, God accepts your disrespect because he loves you just the way you are. No, no, no. My mama said, I love you, but that mouth of yours, that disrespect of yours, it's got to go because that is not going to lead you to your best life. You see, she gave me love and truth. Truth and love. There is a need for truth and love because here's the thing. Truth, all truth, without love, has no capacity, just brutality. So, if I, it, so this is the type of person that comes in all truth. They're going to bring the truth. And when they do that, people that think differently than, than them are actually harmed because of their truth. Because their truth, as what they say is right, but it lacks love, it's just, it's just harsh, and it's judgmental. It has no power. It's overbearing. It's legalistic. And then, then these people create the label that you are a phobic of some kind. You are transphobic. You are homophobic. And that has begun because somebody said what was true, without love and it has no power it has no capacity it's just brutality 
And John is saying, be people of truth and love. Truth and love in balance has incredible power to bring change. God loves every homosexual. God loves people that think differently than you. God loves people across the entire uh, political spectrum. It is true. He loves them. He loves them. But the truth is, because of his love, he doesn't want any of us to stay that way. Just like God didn't want me to stay angry. God didn't want me to stay unforgiving. God doesn't want me to be lustful. God doesn't want me to be prideful. God doesn't want me to be jealous. And also, and so because of that, God's desires for me are what is true, not based upon what I am, that he loves me just the way I am. And if you're here today and you're saying, man, I just don't know what to think about what he's saying, I want you to hear me today that God loves you. He knows every failure, every mistake you've ever done, and he chooses you. He loves you no less and no more than he loves me, than he loves everybody. But because of his great love, because he saw our brokenness and disparity, and he knew we had no way out, he sent his only son to live the perfect life. I never could, and you never will. And then Jesus died the uh, criminal's death that I deserved to give me the forgiveness and the freedom I didn't deserve. And that's called grace. That's truth and love. And he did that so you don't have to be stuck in your brokenness. So truth without love has no capacity. It's just brutality. And And if you're here today and you have been victim of truth without love, I want to tell you I'm sorry that that happened to you. I want you to know that the person who, maybe the parent or grandparent or friend or pastor that beat you with the truth, they may have had good intention, but I want you to know that the truth is coupled with love. And I don't want you to miss that today. If someone beats you with truth, and didn't love you with the truth, I'm sorry. Because the reality also on the flip side is that love without truth has no integrity, it's hypocrisy. And there are, there are movements of even the church that are all in on love, but lack truth. And when we go all in for love, God loves all people, he loves you just the way you are, then we are still stuck in our disparity. We're still stuck in our, our, our broken state because of love without truth. Because all love without truth, it just misses the point. That God doesn't want us stuck in our brokenness. He doesn't love us just the way we are. He loves us unconditionally to change who we are. If it's all truth and no love, listen, so John is writing this church, he's telling them to, be, to watch out for deceivers, watch out for false teachers. And so here's a hint. If it is all truth and no love, 
false. If it's all love and no truth, also false. It is about truth and love. There must be a balance of truth and love. Did you know you can genuinely love somebody and disagree with them at the same time? (laughs) You wouldn't think that's true in today's cultural climate. In today's cultural climate, disagreement is hatred. And that's not true. I don't have to agree with you to love you. And listen, New Life, I hope and pray that you could say the same thing too. That somebody that might live a completely opposite life than you could walk into this church and say, oh my God, did they love me well. Did they love me well? But then they also hear the truth of God's word rooted in love in a way that doesn't turn them away but transforms their life. There's nothing better than that. Truth and love. So if it is all the truth and beating people with truth, John says it's false. And if it's all love and it lacks God's truth, also false. So the second thing John is saying to this church is that there is the need for the true gospel. Again, the gospel is simply the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And these deceivers are going around saying, you don't need Jesus. Jesus, he was just a man. He was, he's not truly the son of God. Listen what Matthew, uh, in Matthew seven fifteen it says. Jesus says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly They are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. 2 Peter 2.1 says, But there there were also false prophets among the people, just as there were false teachers among you. They secretly introduced destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord. And it breaks my heart to say that this happens in churches today, that destructive heresies are snuck in that look good, that, that look like a compromise between the world and the church, but it lacks truth. So I want to give you some very simple math today. I like simple math, and the simple math is this. False teaching is anything that attempts to add, subtract, multiply, or divide anything from the gospel. That Jesus is the Christ, he's crucified, and he rose again. Anything that, that tries to subtract, add, multiply, or divide from the gospel, it's false. If it's all true and no love, it's false. If it's all love, and no truth, also false. So we have to find ourselves in a manner that even in disagreement, the person on the other side of your argument can truly know we love him. Listen, because we love God, and we love people, and we love sharing God with people. We don't just stop at loving God, loving people. No, no, we love people enough to share God with people truth and love. 
So I want, real quick, I want to give you some things about falling into false teaching because even a lot of well-meaning Christians today fall into false teachings in some way. And here are some ways it happens. By focusing on style over substance. This, this can be uh, uh, in, in, in many ways. Some are so committed to a style of church that they would say, if there's instruments on the stage, they're sinners. Or if we need to sing the old hymns. Well, also style could be like, well, if it's not cool and flashy, I don't want it. It's boring. So to focus on style of preaching, style of teaching, uh, I, I'm not going to wear a necktie on Sunday mornings. I'm sorry. Um, you'll have to find me somewhere else to do that. But, but focusing on style over substance, here's the thing. I may not wear a suit, but I am 100% committed to preaching the Word of God. I'm 100% committed to New Life Church being a church of substance, not style. I, I, I don't... I don't, I'm not in this room on Saturday nights on my face praying, oh God, may the style be absolutely perfect. I'm obsessed with substance. I, I fight for authenticity. I will never be theatrical. I will never be flashy. I want to just be real, and I will fight to be real. So focusing on style over substance is a slippery slope into slipping into false teaching. The second thing is biblical illiteracy hinders discerning truth from error. In other words, not knowing the scriptures for yourself is a way that you can be easily deceived because you won't be able to discern truth from not truth. So you have to know the word. That is why our discipleship track, I believe in it so much. And if you've not been a part, then you need to go back to that table. You need to sign up for T1. And you begin to build the word of God into your life so that you can discern truth from error. The third way of slipping into false teaching is not recognizing the fruit. Not recognizing the fruit. Many churches are built upon a personality of pastor. And we continue to see large and large churches all around the nation where pastors are falling due to uh, immorality. And then some of those churches have completely disappeared and closed the doors. Recognizing the fruit is important in the not slipping into false teaching. And fruit of, of that nature is typically like if the church is all about a man. Listen, I, if I can, I never want to point you to me I don't want you to, to, to puff me up. My job is to pastor this church. So, and I just get all of your attention in moments like this. And then I say, okay, look here, look here. Look there. Like I, my job is to point people to Jesus, to stay on mission. And I seek no notoriety, no fame. And honest, and, and, and I am probably, uh, like, it is common for pastors to play the comparison game with other pastors and other churches. Oh, look what they're doing. It's so cool. We should do that. Oh, look at their social media presence. Listen, I don't care about any of it. I just want to be real. 
I have moments in my life where I'm like, take down the social media, take down the website, take down the, the sign at the corner of the street. And, and people say, well, how are people going to find your church, Pastor Devin? They, our people don't find our church. Our church finds people. And we don't try to attract them with flashy things. I just want to be real. I want the fruit to be sweet because it's the fruit of the Spirit. That's just my little thing there. Now let's talk about following the true gospel. The sign at the street is going to say, the website is still up, but I just hope you hear my heart. Following the true gospel is the opposite. It's focusing on substance over style. It's, it's measuring everything with the scripture. And, it's, and it looks for fruitfulness. Fruitfulness. So John, he writes this short one-chapter letter to the lady and her children, this, this particular local church. And he's telling them, be committed to truth and love. Truth and love. And in doing so, you'll know a deceiver when you see one. You'll see a wolf in lamb's clothing when, you see, when, you, when it comes. Don't connect your lives to them, but remember, love one another. But stand for the truth. And there is nothing else and no one else I'd rather stand by than the, the God who has rescued my life. He didn't just love me the way I was. He completely transformed who I am. And that was because of love. And that's the kind of love that should radiate, radiate from our church too. A kind of love that doesn't just say, God loves you as you are, stay as you are. No, God loves you in a way that will transform who you are. How awesome is that? Truth and love. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to sing one last song. My hope and prayer today, God, is that you would challenge us, challenge the areas of our life where we have used the truth and we've been brutal with it. Help us, Lord, to learn the tactical skill of marrying truth and love together. That if it's not just that it's not the content of our words that turn people away, but they will see the true love and character within us that actually will open their ears to hear what we say. Our attitudes won't turn people off. Our submissive, humble love, true, authentic love for God and love for people that will be married with the message of Jesus will then land on ears of people that are willing to give it a listen. Help us to be married between truth and love. So Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would convict us, mold us, change us in truth and in love. 